is uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus Cheek, and you're listening to the London, the London is Blue, Blue podcast. podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. That's right. Hopefully, your favorite Chelsea podcast in the world, in the galaxy, in the universe, in the multiverse. At least that's what we hope. Dan here, one of your hosts, alongside Sam. You know him as CFC Central, or potentially the hardest working individual in all of world football at the moment, thanks to Todd Bowley, Christopher Favell, and others keeping us in the dark on what is coming in terms of players incoming and outgoing from Chelsea. In this episode, we are going to talk about a player who has been heavily linked, but not yet signed with Chelsea, just in case, because we like to do a little due diligence. We like to get ahead of our homework. We're not the people waiting until the end of the semester to rush and get it all done, Sam. We are going to be talking about Malo Gusto today, but we have to have the sanity check for you first, because that's what the people are most concerned about, is that you're getting your sleep, you're getting your R&R, you're getting a chance to enjoy things outside of football at the moment. So let's just touch base with you first. How are you feeling? All good, Dan. Hopefully, um, we're nearing the last few days of the window. So I'm looking forward to hibernating in February, taking a nice breather. And um, I don't know, not heading off to sunny shores because that's exactly where I am, but uh, hopefully taking some time to watch a few other targets before we we head into the summer window. So I think I'm looking forward to that, working at my own pace, being a little more judicious with my time. So um, apart from that, absolutely fine. Sanity is good. Um, loving the fact that I'm able to watch Andre Santos and add, add a little bit more to the report that I have. And um interesting to see what he will bring so lots of exciting things then yeah if you have not been watching santos tear it up for the u20 tournament that he's involved in right now you are sorely missing out on someone who is indeed a special player and i don't know maybe one not necessarily for the long future but one for the very near future if he continues this type of rapid development but that will be for another episode and in this one it's all about Melo gusto it's a individual who plays in a right back position uh, you know could play in a right wing back position for leon at the moment and chelsea have been heavily linked and we are going to maybe just kick this off first sam with the question of why Malagusto. And the framing of that being is that you have arguably one of, if not top three, or if not the best right back, right wing back in all of world football in Reese James as your primary defender in that area. You're then going and looking at an individual um, within the same age bracket, within you know, potentially not, you know, not as many kind of appearances or starts, but obviously has been uh, a fixture in this Leon side. Why him? Why now? Why would he want to be the understudy to, to Reese James, who seemingly would have a decade plus or more uh, at the highest level of his game still to, uh, you know, uh, bring out from his locker? To be honest, Dan, I think opportunity is the right word here. Um, we definitely had a couple of options that we've looked at in the past. And when I was conducting my own sort of little project in terms of who can be um, not a replacement, not a backup, but somebody who can compete with Reese James, somebody who's adequate in terms of coming in when he's injured or just resting and not really giving a huge drop in quality in terms of now what we see when we shift right wing back options in in the, over the past year, year and a half, when we've seen Ruben Loftus-Cheek, when we've seen Aspilicueta, when we've seen all sorts of options being tried there and seeing just that output go haywire, a defensive aptitude just go all over the place. So finding somebody who can plug that gap, offer a strong performance going forward and also staying back, um, who could we look at? And when I looked at the options, my first choice was Pedro Porro, who looks like he's on his way to, to Tottenham. Um, but obviously, Malo Gusto was a close second. He is, I would say the stars aligned very well for us on this move. Um, he's, he's got his contract expiring in 2024. He's only 19 years old. And he's also at that point where you know, he's not really broken into the national team. He's not a, a marquee player as such. He's obviously got a lot of raw potential. But 
it's also to a point where, you know, there has been criticism that has come his way in terms of, can he really achieve it? You know, is he good enough with his current form to go and challenge the world beaters? So it was enough for us to go there, pay a decent price. I mean, we haven't paid it yet, but, you know, we've been quoted decent price, somewhere around 35, 40 million. And, you know, have somebody probably who would be here for the next seven, eight years and and possibly, hopefully bloom into one of the best right backs in the world. So, and arguably will get enough game time to develop, even though you've got Reese James in front of you. All things to keep in mind and, and consider when looking at, again, a individual to cover off for Reese James, because as Sam has highlighted, when you don't have Reese James in the side, when you do have Reese James in the side, you have two remarkably different versions of Chelsea Football Club that you're watching um, and that you're managing, if you happen to be the manager in, in this regard. When you think about the fact that over the last couple of years, just looking at the time that he's been at Chelsea, the amount of starts he's made in the Premier League, uh, 16 matches in 1920, 2020 or 20 through 2021 25 starts 21 through 22 22 starts and then this season so far seven starts on uh, almost 19 or 19 matches played right now for Chelsea and all in in those competitions so keeping that in mind having someone who can come in and be available and probably banking or insuring against uh, an injury or a time off needed for Reese James is not a bad idea, considering that you would love to have him available for every single match. But as Chelsea aspires to be in every competition until the very, very end and hopefully lift a trophy, it's not likely that Reese James at his current contribution rate is going to necessarily be, you know, uh, a 50 plus match individual in terms of the amount of performances you'd have. I mean, he's only gotten to that point twice in his career. He was 46 matches played at Wigan. 44 of those were start that was on loan. And then in the 2020 through 2021 season, he and was involved in 47 matches, but only started 34 of those. So seemingly, Sam, I mean, the numbers bear out that for Gusto's side, for the player side, I think people asking the question, well, why would the player consider this move? If you're banking on an opportunity to get appearances, it would probably be a very good bet, as much as we love Reese James, that he will occasionally miss game time um, throughout the season and Gusto would get multiple opportunities to start and impress. For sure. I think the project guarantees him a lot of interesting factors. I think Peter Bosch, his coach at Lyon, has has got him to a point where he's getting enough game time. He's obviously the undisputed starter now at right back. But can he be improved further? And is Bosch the right manager to, to do that? Those are the questions that have been there. So I think in terms of just looking from a very personally motivated factor, it would be pretty interesting to to move to a side where you're going to compete with obviously one of the best in the world, but also playing with extremely good players week in, week out, um, a very strong French contingent. So you'll basically be, you know, almost as close to home as you can get away from home. But there's also the the fact that Graham Porter has done pretty well with the talent that he's had on his hands at Brighton. You know, even his older clubs at Swansea, at Ostersunds, uh, players talk about how he's improved them, how he's just given them a sense of viewing the game better in terms of applying them better. And if he can do the same with Gusto, if he can just coach him better, if he can just help him fine-tune and polish the the edges that are sort of, you know, jutting out of him you know he is very rough around the edges so if you can just polish that and make him into a, a, a very classy player i think everybody benefits you know he benefits most of all but again just taking that workload off free shames i think would be absolutely crucial so works for everybody works for us so hopefully we can get it over the line yeah that is the challenge and i think as of time of recording we're talking on thursday and the current reports is that Leon would like a loan back till the end of the season, which I think in the grand scheme of things doesn't resolve things for this season, but would at least let you get a book, a little business until 
the winter window and not have to worry about that during the summer is the last resort option for getting this type of deal done. Lyon are a historically difficult club to deal with, very simple, similar to Napoli in terms of negotiating for players and player releases. And so don't be surprised if by the time we release this on the Friday that Chelsea have not gotten a deal done or if the deal extends all the way up to deadline day. Or on the flip side, if something gets announced while recording, we are keeping an eye on Twitter in case the narrative changes. But we're going to get into everything surrounding Gusto as a player, how he got to where he is today, his strengths, what are some of the weaknesses or areas of his game he needs to continue to work on, what he would need to do in terms of development to fit in at Chelsea or who he's going to help out. And then also what his player composition is in terms of a high comp or maybe a, you know, had a good career, but not as great comp. So we'll be right back after this break with a look into the narrative surrounding Malagusto. All right, Sam, it is time. It is the patented CFC Central story time in regards to the player known as Malagusto. Would you care to spin us some yarn and walk us through his footballing journey? Well, once upon a time, dear Dan, um, <laughs> in, <laughs> uh, in a small town on the east of Lyon, uh, 25 minutes away from the east of Lyon, um, it's, it's a small town called Desinis, and uh, that's where Malagusto was born. And uh, as a child, interestingly, his father put him in rugby, and um, he was there for quite a bit. He, he started playing rugby as, as his first sport. And then confessed to his father that he wanted to be a professional footballer. So then he changed sports and then then basically he um, started playing it full time. Um, his first club was AS Villefontaine. And um, he basically started off from there as an attacker. He used to play as an attacking midfielder right behind the striker. Then he eventually went on to join the under-14s in Lyon. And it's the same year that Lyon moved from their old stadium to the new stadium, which is in his hometown. So it was sort of like auspicious in terms of the stars aligning for him and everything coming together. So very lovely to see that there's a, you know, Lyon boy, the Cines boy coming into the first team, coming into coming into the club when the club is moving to his hometown. So that was really lovely to read. Uh, but after he got there, apparently he had a little trouble um, adapting, wasn't really at the pace of some other Lyon graduates who went on to have stellar careers, for example, um, Ryan Shirky, uh, I mean, Gueri, these are all guys who are now uh, playing in League One. I mean, Shirky is still at Lyon, but Gueri's moved on and he's doing very well in, in, the, in the first league. So um, he didn't really move at the pace that they were moving at. So he had to take his own time, bide his own time. But interestingly, his coaches always pointed out and even though he was struggling to adapt, he was always the most professional, always applying himself very hard, you know, coming home, uh, coming to to the training ground, never taking anything for granted and and just putting in a shift. So his his commitment, his work rate, his ethic, I think is all on point from, from that age onwards. And I think his big breakthrough came when he was playing for the under-17s, the French under-17s, and there was an injury crisis. And the coach didn't have a right back. And he basically turned to, to Malagusto and um, that became his calling. He just took to that role um, like a fish takes to water and absolutely, you know, has been, has never looked back. So it's, it's his role now. And um, that's where he broke into, into the side at 17 is when he broke into the first, uh, first team at Lyon. But again, another challenge where the manager, Rudy, um, Garcia didn't trust him so much. So he ended up playing only two minutes, I think, in his first season and um, didn't really get the opportunity to break through. But after Rudy Garcia was sacked, um, he was given a chance by Peter Bosch. And that's where we are right now. He's had a good season. Uh, he was also challenging at right back with uh, the club captain and a French international, Leo Dubois. So has sort of like a Reese James kind of situation before where he's had to to fight to get into the team. But uh, Dubois left, I think, last, this this year, earlier this year. I mean, 2020. We are in 2022. No, we are 2023. Okay, 2022. So he left earlier last year uh, for Galatasaray. So he basically started this season 
as the as the first choice right back. And um, as we've seen, he's now taken that spot for himself, and that's where he finds it. He's already on the verge of a big move. Manchester United are interested, as are we. Um, there are some minor rumors about whether Real Madrid want to make a bid because Carvajal is also sort of aging and they need a right back there. So a lot of links, but uh, we've moved first and uh, that's where we stand. Immensely talented player who's had his ups and downs through youth career and um, is only 19 despite all of it and, and is showing some real signs of promise. One of the most highly rated right backs in the league. So hopefully he can go on and do some magic for us provided he arrives at Stamford Bridge first. That is the key to all of it, making sure that he does make the move to Chelsea. And it might be something, again, where he does make a move, but it might be just a touch delayed until the end of the season. So as we reflect upon that journey as someone who has pushed himself to exceed into different levels to gain the trust of his managers to be able to lock down a position in uh, you know, a, a top team in a top league. Let's talk about why Chelsea supporters should be excited, particularly for those who maybe have just heard the name and maybe even mistaken it as Mucho Gusto. It is Malo Gusto, but it would be, in I think both of our thoughts, a, a very Mucho Gusto type of move uh, for Chelsea based upon the strengths that this player has. No, for sure. There's There's been a lot of interesting things about him. There are a lot of strengths that, that I've had the pleasure of viewing when I've been watching him. The first thing that stands out about him is how good his game reading is, his anticipation, his game reading at such a delicate age. At just 18, when I was watching him first, looks absolutely phenomenal. It looks like he reads the game well. He knows exactly what where the ball is going to be at what time. So he positions himself well and then his interception numbers are pretty great from um, last year it was around 1.68 recoveries per 90 uh, sorry uh, interceptions per 90 and uh, this season he's around the same number I think 1.60 this season so somebody who will regularly put himself in between two passing options at the opposition team and win the ball and then start attacks from there so he's he's very good at at foreshadowing what the opposition is going to do. So tactical understanding, making sure that which option has to be closed down, is timing of it is is very good. And I think uh, somebody who makes tackles versus somebody who prefers to, to intercept the ball without getting into the business of making fouls, I think I prefer the latter. So it's just great to see somebody as young as him relying on that first and foremost to you know, win the ball back for your team instead of tackling and, and doing something rash. So anticipation is something that stands out for me. And uh, hopefully it will get even better from here. It's it's um, a very nascent stage of his career that he's in. And with experience against more formidable opponents, I think he will he will go on to do better things with it. The second thing that also strikes you is, you know, his physical presence. Like I mentioned the rugby roots are very strong, so he does look like he possesses a good, strong upper body. He's very good at using his strength and, and tends to use it very cleverly. He's usually up against very nimble, you know, fleet-footed wingers. So what he does is he will wait, and then at the right time, he will use his shoulder to sort of throw the winger off balance. And, you know, when, when they're going at high speed, when they're going at top speed, all it takes is a little nudge at the right time and then that tends to stagger them and then they lose control and basically the threat is extinguished. So he does that quite often, uses his body very well, also able to get his body in between the ball and the player so he can shield it very well. So in terms of his physical presence, even when he goes in for aerial duels, you will see that he uses his body a lot. You know, he shoulder barges first and he can absorb contact well. So he's not somebody who's going to be overawed in, in physical duels against PL defenders or whoever's coming up against him. I think that's also going to be a, a good point to look at. The third, I would say, is his crossing. It's um, quite the formidable weapon. He tends to use it very, very frequently. Um, last se This season, he's ninth in, in League One for passes into the penalty area with, with 31. And interestingly, he's first in 
all of Europe for crosses into the penalty area. So he's he's very frequent with his deliveries, tends to get it right as well, you know, tends to find targets in, in the penalty area. He's done that 25 times this season, leads Europe in that metric, which is pretty interesting at 19. Um, what I also like about him is he's able to do a lot of damage from deep deliveries then. So... For example, I was watching this game against Twa and um, the side was just trying, the opposition was trying to basically go into a very deep 5-4-1 kind of block. So it was almost impossible to, to cleave them open once they took the shape. But what Gusto does very well is the space that he occupies wide right between the defensive line and the midfield line. He's able to cross from there. And his cross is almost like a, you know, a very sharp curl on it. He hits it with power. So he's able to put it into what we call the corridor of uncertainty between the goalkeeper and the defensive line. So even before they get into that shape, he puts the ball where it's an inconvenience for everybody. The defenders can't get a foot in because you risk putting it into your own goal. The goalkeeper doesn't know whether to come claim it because, you know, there might be contact. So he puts it there very well. He He's able to find individuals as well. If he wants to find a particular target, he's able to do that with his crosses as well. Also goes, you know, near post, far post, can go with a very, very hard hit, low sort of cross into feet, or he can also go towards the head. So he has a little bit of variety in that crossing. Also has good cutbacks. So I think in terms of getting his crossing variety done, I think he's mastered the art of using the cross as a weapon. So I think that's something that if he comes here, people would would love to see his his ability to cleave defenses open with crosses. Uh, something interesting is also he's two-footed. He's um, able to use both feet for shooting, for passing, also tackling. He uses both feet for tackling, does it very well. And um, you often see, I think, some shades of his education in terms of being able to roam into central areas, being able to take shots on the fly with his weaker foot. So he doesn't really refrain from from using it when the opportunity arises. So I think that's also a plus. He can improve it. For example, um, where you see it's his weaker foot is when he tries those little delicate passes, when he tries to lay off passes to his teammates under pressure. That's where he can be a little erratic with his execution. So maybe that's where he needs to add a little more finesse, add a little more polish. But other than that, I think the ability to use both feet is is very good. And uh, aggression, I think it's also combined with the fact that he reads the game well. So his entire point is just trying to get very touch tight to a player. So he'll try to get there, prevent people from turning, and then he'll basically try to win the ball from there. He's, he's good at tackling, um, will try and, and use his physicality against you. So is very aggressive. But uh, strangely enough, when obviously you're you're going up against a high press or something, when you have to try and press as as the first man, uh, can be a little iffy at times. Doesn't really execute it well. I saw him play one game at wing back under Laurent Blanc. I think it was on against Stalren, I think, and uh, didn't really look comfortable when he was he was pressing up front. So maybe that's something to improve on, but. Other than that, likes being aggressive. I think he has a little bit of bite to him, which obviously everybody at Chelsea likes to see. So um, not really a, a softy who will need a little bit of coddling and a little bit of, you know, um, bulking up and strengthening up to adapt to the Premier League. So he's he's ready physically. He's got uh, a nice variety of skills that he brings here, and hopefully he will be able to use them well. All things that sound extremely exciting, particularly as I think people have come to enjoy a certain style of play when it comes to our wingbacks or our defenders, particularly that of Reese James uh, in terms of bodying some players. We know our good friend Nick Verlani likes to talk about it as or in Joe Tweeds as XBs or expected bodies. And it seems like Gusto would definitely be collecting a few of those if he was running up and down the wing for Chelsea. But he is a young player. He's in 19. He hasn't yet made the jump to the Premier League. 
maybe is lacking a little bit in the European competition experience, which hopefully, you know, Chelsea just win the Champions League again and will be in the Champions League again next season for him to get a chance to show his credentials there. Where are the areas of his game today that you see Gusto needing to improve if he were to be dropped into the right-hand side beginning of February, because we know that obviously Reese is targeting a return before the Fulham game. Maybe you don't risk him. Maybe you try to get one more game out of a combination of Aspliqueta or using Trev and using you know, Ziyech if he's still here in that kind of right mid spot. What would the challenges be for him if he did get the parachute in and go save the right-hand side for a couple matches uh, starting in the beginning of February? I think the key word here is patience then, because obviously when we've seen players in the past try something and not come off and maybe look a little out of place, maybe look overwhelmed by the responsibility that has been put on them, I think it is fair to say that there might be games where Gusto looks the same, but it's important to remember that he's only 19 years old and he will get better. And, and there's always going to be a time of adaptation, of struggle, of looking thoroughly out of your depth, that could come to fruition if he comes here. Because there are a lot of things to work on. Like I said, he is raw. He's got a lot of things that he needs to work on, that he needs to polish. And, um, you know, we, we have to be a little more loving, nurturing of him in, in that regard. It's, you know, we, obviously the pressure to succeed here is immense. But he's coming for a decent price. And arguably, if you go with the same number of years we've been offering everybody else. The amortization on him for a 35 million deal at seven-year contract would be would be peanuts. So, you know, I think hopefully that will help him. Hopefully that takes a little bit of responsibility off him to say, you know what, take your own time, maybe take these six months, adapt well, and then see what you can find in the league. And hopefully if he finds his feet, then I'm pretty sure that we'll have somebody like Abadia Shield. You know, he we're taking a, our sort of gamble on a very promising player who's had his ups and downs. But like we've seen in the last two games, if he comes good, if he plays in a good team, which offers him a, a solid structure, there's a lot to admire. So if I would start with the weaknesses, I would say um, defensive positioning is something that is uh, lacking, that is maybe inconsistent. He can be very naive. You can often see him go far too advanced, can also be far too deep sometimes. It looks like he has space to run into when there is an attack brewing, but he doesn't run. Sometimes it looks like he should be deeper and then sort of be closer to his own defenders and protect his centre-backs, but he stays a little advanced. So can be very inconsistent with deciding where he wants to be. It's also interesting because Lyon tend to give him that responsibility if you see how they play. It's often him providing and supplying the width on the right-hand side. So he often holds the width. Whenever this plays on the left-hand side, he doesn't come inside very often. You'll often see him just close to the touchline, waiting for a long diagonal from uh, Nicolas Tagliafico or Maxence Cacares, you know, anybody who's trying to find him on the right flank to start an attack. So holding width is something that he does. So maybe the defensive positioning aspect is also when you're given the role and the responsibility to push up you know, it's something that plays on his mind. So he he has to be more judicious with guessing where he wants to be and, and making sure that he doesn't leave his, his centre-backs overwhelmed. The second thing is technique under pressure. I think he is susceptible to, to closing down. I've, I've seen a lot of reports say that he's very good under pressure, he's press-resistant. But, I mean, on the games that I've watched, in the games that I've watched, and I've watched games from last year, I've watched games from this year, it looks like if you press him hard enough, you will get something out of him. It looks like he's either hesitant or he's unable to execute those little line-breaking passes out of pressure. You know, when you've got to get those laser passes between players and, and try to find a teammate who's offering themselves up, looks like he doesn't find them consistently enough, can give the ball away. And like I said, his weak foot, when he's trying to get those passes, it, even though he makes nice angles for it, he really can't pull it off pretty pretty often. So that's something that can be an issue. He's far more comfortable in the second phase. You know, you get him in advanced areas and when there's less pressure for him in terms of knowing the repercussions of losing the ball, I think then he's fine. You know, his technique is, is much better. 
there are a lot of times when he has space to gallop into and you know, defenders still a few yards away and his touch is just too big for him. It, it just goes off him. It looks like he puts a lot of pressure on himself to get it right and, and it comes off very inconsistently. So that's something that I would watch out for, his technique under pressure. Uh, how he navigates out of it, how he weaves out of tight situations is something in the Premier League I would be I would be keeping, you know, a magnifying glass on that. He also seems to have concentration issues. Looks like he has lapses of judgment he has pretty poor awareness at times he doesn't look like he's he's scanning a lot sometimes he just stands he just looks like he's static he doesn't really move around doesn't really take in terms of what is happening around him but um can look like he's he's out of his depth at times he he's, appears like he's you know basically zoned out into into la la land but um yeah, I think it, overall it affects multiple facets of his games. Some, For example, sometimes when he tries to press because he's aggressive, makes the wrong decision because the player is already turned. Maybe they've already figured out where they want to take the ball. So he tries to press and um, gets it wrong. Sometimes he throws his body a little too hard and then, you know, loses balance and, and basically allows the player to, to watch past him. So concentration issues are also a major, major complaint from, from people that I've talked to. Like he tends to be uh, very raw in terms of focusing over the 90 minutes. There will be minutes, there will be seconds where he makes that occasional clangor. And, and that's what we have to be careful about. Uh, the fourth one would probably be his acceleration. I think he lacks what we call that quick burst from a standing start. He isn't really explosive. For example, if you were talking about Pedro Porro, he is extremely quick. His ability to to go, you know, zero to 60 from, from a standing start is extremely quick. So um, Gusto, I think there's some sort of a divide between what he thinks he can achieve and what he can actually achieve. So sometimes he tries to use these little touches to to poke it past his opponent and and try to chase it, but he doesn't have the speed to get there. So you often see him sort of try these touches, but the opposing defender gets there very easily. So maybe he needs to reassess his pace better. It's something that Reese James does very well. You know, Reese is not somebody who's explosive. He's quick once he hits top speed is very quick, but he's not somebody who explodes quickly out of standing start. And and look at how he uses his speed. So I think. Gusto would would learn a lot from that respect. So um, I think he needs to perceive his own skill sets better. I think that little bit of naivety he needs to wipe out of his game and be more grounded in terms of what I can do and what I can't do. So uh, that is something that that definitely needs to to do that. Uh, it also affects him negatively in the sense that it looks like he finds it hard to recover whenever he tries to tackle or intercept. So if a winger gets him to tackle, he often finds it very difficult to recover into position. So a lot of the times when you see him get beaten, he looks like, you know, he's committed first. So if you want to beat Gusto, you have to get him, you know, to, to commit an action first. You have to provoke him into making that first action. And then you make your second action to get past him. So that is something that he needs to be wary of. He needs to be smarter in terms of when to commit. Or he tends, or he should just figure out how to do it in a way that he retains control over his body, not to go, uh, you know, 100% and, and lose out because he doesn't have the acceleration or the burst or the ability to change his body to, to recover quickly. And the last thing I would say is his technique, his threat can be very monodimensional at times. You know exactly what you're going to get from Gusto. He's going to try and explode to the outside. He rarely ever does it on the inside. He will always try to go on the outside of his defender, attack the byline, and from there he's going to cross. And the cross is usually, it's curled in, it's hit with speed, and it's hit towards the middle of the box, towards near post, far post, but it's the same kind of cross, the same kind of whip on it, like I mentioned. There are no variations on the kind of crosses. You won't see drilled crosses, you won't see floated crosses to the back post, you won't see a variety in terms of his threat. He seems very one-dimensional in the way that he's doing it. Even with his left foot, doesn't really cross a lot from the games that I've seen from his left foot. So maybe needs to vary that. Maybe needs to vary the zones that he's crossing from. Maybe use the half space better. Maybe try to figure out if he can add a little bit of variation on his right. Can he add a Trevella? Can he add, you know, some kind of a, 
a sharp cut back from from that zone towards the central post. I mean, he does that often into into the edge of the box, but can he do it consistently? It's it's his threat is lacking in that sense. I think he's could be susceptible we could be calling sort of to be called a one trick pony. So I think he needs to evolve his attacking arsenal and uh, diversify it a little bit. So I think those are his weaknesses. He's got a, he's got quite a few of them. He's he's definitely got a few of them. But again, at his age, um, can be improved. It's not something that is extremely major. I think those things can be improved. And with the right kind of guidance, with the right kind of tutoring, can develop into a fine, fine player. I think also getting to work alongside or getting to be the understudy working with Reese James, it feels like it would be extremely beneficial to working on a few of these things. I mean, we talked about the idea of being able to challenge or come in and be a competitor for Reese James in this scenario. I know in other areas of the world, being an understudy is something where it just maybe seems to be a more natural fit and you would naturally pick up things. Do you think the same thing can be true in football as well, where a player can learn uh, in addition to kind of just improving some of their own game or their own individual skills and abilities when it comes to, uh, you know, um, being, you know, sitting underneath an, another player on the depth chart. You're absolutely right, Dan. I think it, it is a, a vital part of I what I believe is Gusto's reason to come to Chelsea. I think it is to work under East James because when you look at both of them play, there are a lot of similarities in, in how they function in, how they play the game and how they perceive it. Reese, for example, we all know is is a physical specimen. You know, he bullies people with his strength. You can't really get the better of him in that regard. And Gusto is quite similar in the sense that he likes using his physicality. He's not really explosive, the same that I can say for Reese James. So somebody who uses his skill sets very intelligently. And I think that's where we find Gusto. It's somebody who's like Reese James, also played in central midfield. He's played at right wing. He's played at at the number ten position. So he brings a lot of experience from his youth setup. But he's got to to refine and and figure out which skill sets he needs to use in this position. And I think playing under somebody like Reese James, watching him day in day out, obviously getting the kind of mentoring that you can at close quarters. I think it's a personal motivation of his to develop into a similar kind of player. The kind of base that I would say Reese James has. Um, Malo has quite a lot of those qualities in terms of physicality, yes. I mean, obviously, if you've trained as a rugby player, you're definitely going to use your upper body for contact a lot more. Um, how to utilize those finer skill sets better. Even the crossing aspect. A lot of the times you see Reese James cross. It's the same kind of cross. You don't often see him doing fancy things. You know, you don't often see him trying to be different. He uses the same kind of cross, but purely because of how accurate he is and how devastating he is in terms of which areas he puts it into. I think Gusto can look at it and say, look, is being one-dimensional a bad thing when I can do the same thing over and over again? We talked about the same thing with Madhueke. If you know he's going to cut onto his left foot from the right-hand side and then unleash a shot towards goal, is it a bad thing if you get six, seven goals a season outside the box? I don't think so. I think it, it's actually an asset. So I think the same will apply to Gusto as well. It's knowing that you come with some limitations, also knowing that you come with a lot of strengths and getting to see an embodiment of what is the ideal prototype of the player that you want to be and, and just basically treating this as a 1v1 daily session until you can be probably 60-70% of that player. So I think there's immense scope for him. There's immense motivation for him. And hopefully he can utilize it to the best to to be a, not just a deputy, not just somebody who will step in, but hopefully be able to push Reese to be fitter, to be, you know, absolutely ready to compete in those in those big games. Because Gusto has competed in the big games. He's played again in PSG. He's played in some important ties for Lyon in Europe. And he's done very well. So, you know, how does that push Reese James? I think that's also going to be an interesting question. It won't happen immediately, but hopefully what you're hoping for somewhere around when Reese becomes a seasoned veteran 
you're hoping that at 23, 24, Gusto can be a solid, solid option to to effectively rotate without us dropping any quality. Very, very fair. And uh, before we go to break, I have checked. Uh, Fabrizio Romano has not tweeted a here we go. So we are still good in the way that we were framing this episode. Again, we are going to take that quick break and then we're going to get into how Malo Gusto will fit in at Chelsea and maybe some of those wonderful player comparisons we always love to do. But stick around and we'll be right back. All right. So I think we talked a little bit about this, Sam, before we went to break, but that was in where Gusto fits at Chelsea in terms of the maybe is not a starter straight away, wouldn't take a position on a day that Reese James is healthy, definitely provides a competitive element to improve both of their games. But I guess I would just say who, other than Reese James getting an opportunity to rest regularly, does Gusto's style lend itself to helping any of our backline or forward line have a different way of playing in the game or potentially require differences from people who maybe operate typically on the right-hand side? Well, he operates a little differently in a back three, in a, in a back four. In a back four, I think he's a lot more conservative. He tends to respect the fact that he has to maintain some semblance of tactical discipline. So you will often see him become the third centre-back when, when Lyon are building up. So he does have that ability to to stay back and essentially allow other players to go forward and do something. Sometimes it's Nicolas Tagliafico on the left-hand side who will take that opportunity to push up. So if a Ben Chilwell is fit, if a Marco Correa is playing, or even if it's a Lewis Hall, for example, on the left-hand side, then you would expect that to benefit both of them or all three of them to, to go forward and know that you're still leaving our two centre-backs and Malo Gusto as as the third centre-back on the right-hand side to protect you on transitions. So that is an interesting dynamic that Graham Potter can experiment with if he watches Leo. Um, He's also pretty good at, you know, making sure that he's, for example, if if he's playing in a back three, then I think there's also an interesting scope if you're playing Reese James as the right centre-back, then... I think he would allow Reese James to also move into advanced positions. It's something that we've seen in the past when we've used these three very progressive centre-backs. Obviously, um, with the left centre-back and the right centre-back under Tuchel having a little bit of licence to go into the attacking third, especially Rudiger, who would often end up as high as you know inside the box. If you see the penalty that he won at Leeds, for example, um, you know just ghosting into the box from left centre-back and making those marauding runs then you could ideally preserve a little bit of Reese James by putting him at right centre-back and getting Gusto to play as the right wing-back because you then take care of his defensive uh, shortcomings. You make sure that you've got somebody as able as a Reese James um, deputising and making sure that you know he's able to also function as a second right-back if that's needed. While at the same time making use of Gusto's ability to be a potent threat, you know, he's got a lot of deliveries into the box. So um, you would want that threat to be preserved on the right-hand side, especially when you've got somebody like a Maduege or when you've got somebody like a Sterling who's going to go from out wide to inside. So there's going to be a lot of space on that outer right flank. So you would ideally want somebody like a Gusto who's occupying that wider right position and, and supplying some kind of threat from there. So I think those players are also benefit. Maduege, for example, will be able to create some kind of dynamic with Gusto because the zones are sort of mutually exclusive. So I'm looking forward to that if that happens. Um, I also think somebody like a Sterling, you know, who's been starved of service on the left side, hasn't really got the kind of chances he has at Manchester City. Just the opportunity to attack crosses into the box, just the ability to use his movement to ghost in and then have somebody like a Gusto delivering crosses when the when the opposition defense isn't organized, I think will be interesting to see. So um, a lot of players do benefit. It's just um, they do benefit in a small degree. To For them to benefit in the complete degree, he has to evolve. He has to reach a ceiling. He has to achieve his potential. And there's a long, long way to go for that. So hopefully he can do that. But I can see multiple players benefiting because of it. And uh, hopefully Porto finds the right kind of balance. For example, if you do play him in a back four and and he tends to sort of neglect his attacking duties, then do you have the right right central midfielder to cover him? 
Um, do you have the pace in, say, Thiago Silva to cover him on the right-hand side? So those questions also arise. We've seen how a slow backline like Khalidou Koulibaly and Thiago Silva and Aspilicueta can affect you. So if you've got somebody who's neglecting those duties and, and putting pressure on, on those players, then that can also affect you negatively. So I think it has to be taken into account to the right kind of balance. Also giving him the opportunity to you know express himself but also learn on the go. So I think that's going to be the challenge for Graham Potter. How do you do it in the next six months? All things to keep in mind as we, at that current time of recording, have not signed the player, but things that he would have to work on. In terms of the player comps, and I know that I think there's one point that you want to make within this regard, that there's been some, some interesting one-on-one defending that he has been capable of providing but then also times when he has maybe not been as great at it and so do you want to kind of jump into that point before we talk about like player comparisons for where his potential could take him yeah i think that player comparison depends predominantly on whether he becomes somebody who's you know excelling at one part of the game or whether he's able to balance himself out in both like i said there's massive scope for improvement so if he does have to become, you know, an excellent all-round fullback, then obviously he has to be more consistent. And one thing that I've seen that is wildly inconsistent is his 1v1 defending. On certain days, he he looks absolutely outstanding. I saw him against PSG, and uh, he was up against Mbappe, he was up against Neymar, he was up against uh, Nuno Mendes, and, and he was very, very good. Just how amazing he looked in terms of taking on the best players in the world making the right challenges, using his strength to, you know, just keep them at bay and making sure that his team was well protected, holding a conservative position, knowing when to go, knowing when not to go. I think those performances offer you a glimpse of what he can be if he can do it regularly. It's just that, you know, it's that that performance just comes once in a while and then it he looks like a completely different player. There's also been some performances where I've seen him come against obscure wingers uh, against you know, decent league one sides. And and he's been had on toast. You know, he's made all kinds of errors. He's just put his feet where he's not supposed to do. He's, he's trying to, to tackle players who's already, you know, got a little bit of separation on him. And, and then he looks like he's lost his opportunity to, to go back and recover properly. So he can be wildly inconsistent in, in his 1v1 defending. And, and that, I think, applies to a lot of his skill sets. He can be excellent on one day and he can look absolutely abysmal on the other. So can he bring all of those skill sets together at a super high level on a week-in, week-out basis? If I think he, he continues on his trajectory where he's you know gets sort of like one or two good performances in a month, then I would say somebody like a Luke Shaw would be a good... Um, potential for him who has a quality who's also a very one-dimensional I would say attacking fullback where you would expect him to bomb forward deliver crosses do pretty well also has like a few other tricks inside the box but not at that level of proficiency where you can rely on it making a difference over and over again he can do it from from time and again will contribute with a couple of goals and assists but not consistently enough but if he learns from one of the best fullbacks in the world, if he's able to use his strength well, if he's able to develop um, the understanding, the tactical intelligence, if he's able to develop the consistency, then on the outer stratosphere, I would place Reese James as, as the high potential because uh, he is the reference. And then I think like if you want somebody like him, I wouldn't say a Pedro Porro can become a Reese James. I, I can't see it because... The frame is different. The, the the playing style is different. The zones that they occupy, the defending, for example, Poro can be quite quite bad at defending. Um, Gusto does offer glimpses of Reese James level defending. Reese James against Vinicius. Reese James against Rafael Leao, and and that kind of display. So if Gusto can do it against Mbappe, why can't he do it against you know slightly lesser opposition week in week out? So. I think I would be ambitious, but I would put Reese James as his reference. I would tell Gusto, this is where you can be if you continue improving, you know, week in, week out. So I think those are my player comparisons. Those are both 
exciting comparisons, maybe in different ways. I think we have seen a little bit of a resurgence this season for Luke Shaw and that Manchester United side. Obviously, anyone getting within the stratosphere of Reese James, even at 70 or 80% of that potential means you're going to have a really, really rock solid replacement and competitive nature. And in case of injury, your, your, your replacement is not an absolute massive step down in terms of composition or comparison that you have to completely alter the way you set up the team and the way that you look to create chances moving forward. And so in general, we hope for the high aspiration for Malaguso's career at, at time of recording still has not been officially announced, still dealing with Leon, who love to drag things out and move goalposts. So we will keep our eyes fixated on that as we round out the end of this transfer window. And Sam, I know we didn't start off with a pun, but just in case you had one in your locker somewhere that you wanted to pull out for a pun related to the transfer... Or if you think it would jinx it, we can save it for the future. Do you have a pun related to the <laughs> Gusto signing if it were to happen? Well, I mean, it, Malo Gusto in Italian, I think, means bad taste. So, I mean, if it doesn't happen, then it's going to be Malo Gusto all around, I'm guessing. But uh, <laughs> hopefully it does. Hopefully it does materialize because we will have then a young right back uh, to look forward to. So and I'm just crossing my fingers. And uh, hoping that we have another new player to debut. I think that's now what six games then that we've introduced in debutant in the last six games. I think that's something like the record. But uh, hopefully, if we can get a seventh, then um, the more the merrier. So fingers crossed. But yeah, I mean, I would love to hear your one if you have one. Oh no, I don't have a good one right now. I will come up with it and I will release it on Twitter so that way I get at least a minute to prepare it. But I do agree that I think, look, let's keep the signing train going. Let's keep the wonderful, positive vibes flowing for Chelsea Football Club. The window has been a strong window for Chelsea so far. There's still some work to be done. There's still a midfielder to add. You know, uh, we'll keep the hope alive for Enzo Fernandez, even if it does seem like that is the most difficult deal for any club to do this window. But Todd Bowley has already done some crazy things alongside this technical director teams, recruiting team, and scouting team. And so we will hope that they continue to keep Sam and I at least a little busy between now and the end of the window. So Sam, thank you so much again per usual. We super appreciate it. And uh, hopefully you at least get a day, a full day of rest coming up here because the men's team aren't playing, get a little rest, and then you can jump right back into it when there's five to ten new player links over the weekend. No, I was completely, I was, I was a little stressed out because I didn't know whether I should finish my Andre Santos report, whether I should work on Malaguso, whether I should go on Onana. So, uh, you know, those are the kind of days I'm expecting in the next couple of days. For all you know, we might have another right back target because I keep hearing reports that the team is looking at a lot of different midfielders. So if it's Romeo Lavia, if it's Moises Caicedo, if it's somebody else altogether who I haven't heard of, like Alan Varela, then again, it's going to be a hectic last few days. But uh, I think we've done a pretty good job of it, haven't we, Dan? I agree. And I think the listeners and those who reach out let us know that they appreciate all the hard work. So thank you again for the kind words, for listening, for sharing out the podcast with others, for leaving five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We appreciate all of it. And that's going to wrap us up for this one, Chelsea fans. So until next time, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.